0: In our home, growing up, at Christmas time, we always watched *White Christmas*. Anybody else like that, or is it just me? A few of you, yeah. When *White Christmas* came on, uh, somebody would so come and watch it. It's our favorite Christmas show, and we would sit there and, of course, um, fell in love with it. Uh, as a child, you don't really maybe f- understand the full uh, the full story. You don't maybe get it all, but the songs. And the, and the fun and the, and the jokes, just wonderful, wonderful. Now, here's the thing. That song, White Christmas, after which the movie is named, uh, it rose to number one position and became the best-selling song of all time. They estimate, Google says, uh, 100 million copies of that song were sold making it the number one song of all time. The closest song that comes to it is Elton John's Candle in the Wind, which I think sold 30, 000, 30 million copies. But this hit the 100 million copy mark. Unbelievable. Now what on earth would create such a, an interest? And what makes it so popular? When you consider that it only has eight lines, uh, you got to wonder, wow, what 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 happened in the hearts of people that they would love that so much? Well, that's a question that many have asked. And uh, music critic Stephen Holden says this. He says that the that the the reason that the song is so popular is that it evokes primal. This is what he says: primal nostalgia a pure childlike longing for roots, for home and childhood, a fresh start. Richard Corliss notes that the World War II song connected with the G.I.s in their first winter away from home, to them it voiced the ache of separation and the wistfulness for the innocence of youth. Poet Carl Sandburg said about the song White Christmas, way down under this hit of his, Irving Berlin, catches us where we love peace. The fact of the matter is, is that all of us long for better days. All of us long for those days of innocence and and purity. We long for that time when things were were better, carefree, problem-free. Does anybody remember those days? goes back to your childhood when mom and or dad still took care of things and you just lived out a blissful existence. Those are the days of peace and joy, contentment. Those are the days that we refer to as the good old days. There's a longing for that. The question is this, what has Happen to us? When did we become cynical? When did we become cold and lose our enthusiasm for life? When did we lose our our peace and become fearful and worriers? When did that happen? When did we allow darkness to enter our hearts? When do we lose the joy and the contentment and lose our innocence? Jesus uh, understood the condition of the human heart better than anyone. Jesus understood the condition of, of the hearts of those he preached to better than anyone. He knew that the longing of every heart was a longing for purity, a longing for peace, a longing for restored innocence. And God answers this question in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And let's take a look at this, and maybe if you could read it with me. God says, Come now, let us settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Innocence lost. And it's something that absolutely every person here today has experienced. And I want to talk about that for a moment. Here's the thing. Because of the intense and happy memories that surround our Christmases as children, these are our absolute best memories. There is no time in the course of the calendar year that we remember the, mo- the best and look forward to the most, at least as children, than Christmas. Christmas is the time of great happiness. And the thing is this, is that Christmas is is at once, for many people, the happiest time of the year, and at the same time, it is the most depressing time of the year. We know why it's the happiest time of the year, because it brings back memories of our childhood, when we were innocent, when we were happy, when we really believed that in a home that had no chimney, that Santa would still come down and come out the, the stove. Okay, does us not like, confuse innocence with stupid. <laughs> but there is something something very exciting about those days. I think back to my childhood, preparation for... For Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, Mom would have us get out socks and hang them up. And uh, the stockings that we hung up, my sister's here, she'll remember this, is my dad's old work socks. I do think they were clean. <laughs> but we'd hang those socks up and with the anticipation that the next morning there would be gifts and Great booty in the sock. Now everybody remembers that? Now let me just ask everybody this. How many remember what's in the toe of the sock? What is it? An orange. You did the, you had the same memory, isn't that something? And it wasn't just any orange, was it? What kind of an orange was it? A mandarin orange, that's right. You remember that. And then what else would what, what else would go along with the orange? It would be some peanuts or nuts, right? Nuts that I mean, I, I pulled the nuts out, threw them in the garbage. I, uh, Cass, don't tell mom. I, I throw those nuts in the garbage. And then along with that would be some, some rock-hard candy. Anybody remember that? And then the way that my mom would get us uh, to leave her alone so that they could sleep a little longer, is they'd put breakfast in the stocking. No, not bacon and eggs. No, I'm not saying that, no. Pop-tarts. Remember that, cast? Pop-tarts. And so, yeah, if you can call Pop-Tarts breakfast, uh, heart attack on a platter, out of the toaster. And so we would eat the Pop-Tarts, and then there would be some kind of a toy or something in the stocking. It was really fun and exciting. Great, great memories. There we are sitting around in our pajamas, eating oranges, gnawing at candy at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, Mom and Dad sleeping. And why are they sleeping? Because they were up late. Last night doing what? Wrapping presents, that's right, and filling stockings. And someone in the first service said, uh, partying. (laughs) Uh, I hope not. (laughs) Memories, great memories. Time of innocence. How is it that we lost that joy, that happiness? Why did it become a depressing time of the year for a lot of people? You know, even as I, as I speak, some of you are at this very moment feeling the weight of the failure in your life, of the sin in your life. Even as I speak right now, some of you say, yeah, you know what, Pastor? You're describing exactly the condition of my heart. I do feel like I've lost my innocence. I do feel like there's a cloud over me. I, I, I'm having a hard time getting excited about all this christmas stuff maybe you're maybe you're screwed (laughs) maybe here this morning and you're the one that says bah humbug you see the christmas lights and it's just an irritation and an aggravation to you because you know that right now in your life you're not where you need to be you know that right now in your life your heart is far from god and you know right now that the way you've been living has not been pleasing to jesus and you feel guilty, you feel shame. Well, can I just tell you something this morning? Because I I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, I did not come here this morning to feel condemned or judged. Well, guess what? I'm I'm not going to do that to you this morning. And guess what else? God doesn't either. God loves you, and he cares about you. And so he says this in verse 18. Come. Come now, let us settle this. Come, let's talk together. Come, come to me. Get the, get the picture in your, in your mind, in your heart, of a loving father who cares for his wayward children. Come, let's talk together. Let's find a resolution. Let's, let's solve this problem of innocence lost. Let's bring light back to your heart once again. Come, let us settle this, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, though they 're red like crimson. Now, I want you to get the picture here of a heart that 's truly stained. Those who heard these words when they were originally uttered understood that when a cloth, when a material was stained by that red dye, that there was nothing that could remove that color. You could remove every color, but you couldn't remove the crimson. You couldn't remove that scarlet color. It was there forever. It was indelible. The listeners, those who heard these words originally, understood that when God was speaking about a heart that was Full of sin, sins that are like scarlet, like crimson, they understood that their heart needed to be cleansed. They understood what the writer was saying. Scarlet, crimson. There's only one way that scarlet, a scarlet heart could be made white, and that would be by a miracle. Because no one had any idea how to turn fabric white again after it had been turned scarlet. Now, I want to just, the Spirit of God, just speak to your heart today because some of you sitting here today will say, Pastor, do you know what? You know, what you have to say might be good for those who have done little sins, but you don't know the sin that I've committed. You don't know the sin in my heart. Interestingly, and I just found this out as I was preparing my message. And that is that in the, in the Hebrew, it says double-dipped in scarlet. So we're not talking just about the average run-of-the-mill stain of the heart, average run-of-the-mill sin. We're talking about real bad stuff. And God says, though your heart be double-dipped in scarlet, though your, though your sin is dark and seemingly there forever, God says, I can help. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I love those words. I love the thought. And guess what, friends? If that's the dream of your heart, to get your heart right on track and to get your heart cleansed and be made white, then you've come to the right place because I've got some good news for you today. God can do that. God can reverse the condition of your heart. I came across a poem called "Innocence: Innocence Lost." It was a very sad, dark, dark poem. And I, as I read it, I, I mean, I literally felt like crying as I read, and I, I wanted to find out more about it. I wanted to find out more about the author. And so here's what I discovered. This poem called "Innocence Lost," by Jody says this. She says, "I was sexually abused when I was 11." I'm now in my 30s and still have not healed from this pain. My life has been one addiction after another. For once in my life, I'm going to face my past so I can move on. I realize today that there are sick people out there and I can't keep punishing myself for something I'm not responsible for. Writing poetry helps me to get my thoughts out of my head and to express myself in a way that I would normally not. Thanks for letting me share. And here's how her poem goes, and I'm going to read it to you because I know that there are some here today that will really be able to identify with this. And Jodi says this, here's her poem, it begins like this. Serpents slip into the night hoping you won't put up a fight. Tempted to do the unthinkable crime, wanting to fill their lonely mind. In the darkness they invade your space, unable to notice your tear-streaked face. Nights are filled with silence and pain, wanting to hurt them just the same. A frightened child, you've come to hold a secret that's afraid to be told. What's your thoughts that make this sane? I wish you could feel all my pain. Pay attention, you might not see the hurt you've caused inside of me. Trembling in fear, don't make a sound. Go to your place alone, you have found. Stand up and fight, don't be afraid. Your silence inside will only turn to shame. Lies that were told to hide the truth, only to destroy your innocence of youth. Do you pretend to live the lie or shut the door to the pain inside? Bound by chains from the past, the key there for you to grasp. I give you my word to forgive, if only you could feel the guilt I live. When you read a poem like that, you think and feel the utter despair, the utter emptiness and loneliness that this poor soul feels. And you ask yourself the question, is there any hope for Jody? Is there any way out? Is there any hope of healing? Is there any way that innocence can be found again? What if I could tell you this morning that in spite of all your failings, your addictions, your weaknesses, your sins, that you could be free of guilt and free of the shame, that you could actually have your innocence restored? What would you think of that? If I could tell you, if I could tell Jody, Jody, what happened to you in your childhood? God can wash it, wipe it clean, and give you a brand new heart. What would you think of that? Wouldn't you call that good news? My friends, listen to me this morning. This is what the gospel is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to this earth as a little baby. In innocence, he came to restore to you and me the innocence that we knew as children. This is the gospel. This is the message that we preach. This is what God wants for you. He wants to give you a white Christmas. He wants to cleanse your heart. He wants to give you hope again. He wants to remove the guilt and the shame. God says, though your sins are like scarlet, say it with me, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, what? I will make them as white as wool. Now the imagery here is beautiful. Snow. Pure, white, clean. Covers up. The dirt, the filth, the mud, the squalor. A blanket of snow can make everything look fresh and clean and new. For three or four years at my house, we had no grass. Does anybody know what that's like to live in a home surrounded by mud? Ask my wife about it. Three years. Of no grass and when my brother's dog comes over to stay with us for a weekend and runs through the mud and then when my kids try to catch the dog running through the mud we have mud everywhere somehow it manages to make it its way into every room of the house. How does mud from the backyard end up in the bedroom? That's what I'd like to know. Mud everywhere. And I keep saying to my wife, Gloria, I'm going to get to it. We'll we'll get around to it. Just a few more things, we'll get around to it. And Gloria very patiently, very patiently says, all right, but please make it soon. And then the first snow falls and I breathe a sigh of relief. (laughs) And now my yard looks like everybody else's yard. And no one would know that under that white snow is mud. Here's the neat thing, folks. Is that God doesn't just come into our life and cover up the mud, blanket the mud with snow so that nobody can tell what's really going on. Under that blanket of snow, God does more than that. God comes into our hearts, into our lives, and He washes away the mud altogether. He gives you a brand new heart. Come, the Father says, come. Don't delay. God does not is not standing. In the wings, ready to club you because you got it wrong once again. But as a loving father who truly loves his children, he says, Come to me. Come and we'll settle this. Come with your with your crimson heart, with your with all your sin, come to me, and I'll make things better. Does it sound too good to be true? Anybody ever hear of King David? the man that God called a man after his own heart. Who gets that kind of a designation? Who gets that kind of a title? Who gets that kind of a description? David's called a man after God's own heart. And yet it's this David who one day, while out on the terrace of his house, sees a woman bathing. Yeah, we're not going to... We're not going to pin the blame on anybody, but we do know this: is that something very sinful and wicked happened? David saw this woman. David desired her and had her brought to him. And from lust and temptation, he went all the way and committed adultery. David the author of most of the Psalms. David, the author of a good portion of the Old Testament. The man after God's own heart has now committed adultery. Bathsheba comes to him and says, David, I'm pregnant. What's David the man after God's own heart, going to do now. Rather than going to God and asking God to cleanse his heart and to forgive him, he tries to do a cover-up. And he sends for Bathsheba's husband, who is actually fighting in David's army for David's kingdom. Bring him home, and hopefully he will sleep with her and we'll cover this mess up and nobody will know. The only thing is is that Bathsheba's husband was a man of integrity, and he refused to sleep with his wife because he felt it was unfair that he should have that pleasure while his brothers-in-arms didn't, and he refused to sleep with Bathsheba. Now David's in a real Difficult position. Now what's he going to do? So he writes out a note, gives it to Uriah, and says, Uriah, when you get back there, give that to to the general. What this poor man doesn't know is that in that note that he's carrying in his own hand to give to the general are orders to put him on the front lines of battle so that he would most assuredly die in battle. Uriah goes away, does as he's told, and yes, indeed, he does die. And David thinks that he's solved the problem. He thinks he's dealt with his, his immorality, his adultery, and nobody will know. How many know today that although nobody else knows what's going on in your heart, God does? God does. It wasn't long before David's sin has been revealed. Now let me ask you the question. Should we forgive David? Should David be forgiven? Does he deserve to be forgiven? And of course the answer is no. He doesn't deserve forgiveness. He does not deserve to be forgiven. And he does not deserve the title of man after God's own heart. But before you get... Too up high on your high horse. The fact of the matter is is that nobody here today deserves forgiveness. Do you understand that today? Nobody here today deserves to have their sins washed away. Nobody here today deserves what God has for you for all who by faith would receive it. I'm telling you today, my friends, that the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus can wash your hearts clean as though you would never sinned. Here's what I know from my Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You see, it takes more than me just having you come here and me pray for you, wave my magic wand, and your heart's clean. It takes far more than that. You know what it takes? It takes Jesus Christ to go to the cross and pay the penalty for the sin that you have committed. Jesus, who is innocent without sin, went to the cross for you and for me. Now listen to me this morning. God wants to do something special for you right now. And in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come here so I can pray with you. I can tell you this, that that innocence that you lost, you can find it this morning. You can, by faith, receive what Jesus did for you at the cross. And you can say, Jesus, thank you for taking upon yourself the punishment that I deserve. And I'm going to tell you that in that moment that you do that, the weight of your sin will be lifted from your heart. And that white Christmas that you've been dreaming about can come true today. Jesus can wash your heart clean. D.L. Moody, when he took that step, asking Jesus into his heart, you know what he said? (laughs) He says, I went outdoors and fell in love with everything. I never loved the bright sun as much as I did that day. And when I heard the birds sing, I fell in love with the birds. Everything was different. Innocence has been restored. And that can be yours today. Your heart can be made white as snow, white as wool. All you have to do is say, Jesus, please do that work. Jesus, please wash my heart clean. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask the band to come.